Welcome to the Second Students North podcast. My name is Randy, and we are currently in a series called Ask Me Anything, where we are taking a look at some of the difficult questions our students have about their faith, about the Bible, or just things in our culture that they're confused about, and giving them a biblical answer. We hope you enjoy week four. Well, you guys, we are concluding tonight our series called Ask Me Anything. And you guys have asked us questions, a lot of questions. We've covered a lot of different topics. And we've been answering those questions, things that you, questions you have about the Bible, questions you have about your culture. And some of those have been super challenging questions. And tonight really is no different. It's a tough question. Last week we talked about where does life begin and the question of abortion. And tonight we enter into a topic which was probably maybe the second most asked questions um, when we were looking through the questions. There were a lot of questions about sexual immorality and a lot of questions about homosexuality. And so tonight we dive into a topic that um, can be very controversial. And um, I want you to know tonight, as we dive into this topic, I just want you to know my heart. Um, we, we're having this conversation from a place of, of love and care. Um, not out of a place of hate. Um, as I stand before you, I promise you that what I want more than anything is for you to know God's truth. And in no way, shape, or form do I want as we dive into God's word for you to think in any way that um, as we talk about some of these things in regard to sexual immorality, that it's from a place of, of hate or even judgment. And so I want you guys to know that as we begin. I want you to know something tonight too is that I don't want to share tonight my opinion on these topics, what I want to share tonight is God's word about what purity looks like, sexual purity, and homosexuality. And so let me, let me pray for us one more time as we dive into God's word and just ask him to be, to be with us and to speak to us tonight. So let's just, let's just take a moment. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the opportunity we have right now to be in your presence and to hear from you and God to know you. And Lord, we pray that you would speak in a powerful way. And God, that you would help us to understand who you are, God, who you created us to be, and how, Lord, that we can best follow you. Lord, we need you in that endeavor, God, desperately. And that's why we gather in this room, to know you more and to be drawn to you. So God, help us today. Speak to us as we navigate through your word. It's in your powerful and precious name we pray. Amen. I want to start off just making sure that we all understand just because we're focusing on sexual morality or sexual sin, I want you to know that that doesn't mean that what we're talking about tonight is a sin or something that has separated, separated us more from God than, than any other sin. I think sometimes we can think about the topic of maybe homosexuality and things like that as something that is maybe this thing that has separated us even more from God than maybe another sin that we've had. I want you to know that's not what the Bible teaches us. Sin is what separates us from God. It doesn't matter what that sin is, sin separates us from God. And so what we have to be careful of is thinking that in some way we are maybe a better person because we, we aren't tempted or we don't struggle with a certain type of sin. Because sometimes we can get caught up in that and saying, I'm really not that bad of a person because I don't struggle with this certain sin. And I want you to know that if you think that you're a better person because you don't struggle or aren't tempted by a certain sin, that's a form of self-righteousness and that's a false way of viewing or making yourself better. The only way that we're better is through Christ. 
The only way that we're made good is through Christ, and sin separates us. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. It says this. It says, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Now listen to who the unrighteous are. It says, do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulteresses, or males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers, people who lie and cheat, will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. I just want us to know that as we dive into this topic, that we all enter this room as people who are sinners and every one of us have been separated from God by our sin and the only thing that makes us good or makes us righteous or makes us a good person is Christ and his work on the cross. And so we need to understand that because I think sometimes we kind of separate certain sins and say, well, that sin's really bad, but I just lie and maybe cheat on my tests and I'm really not that bad of a person. I just want you to understand that sin separates us and that's just the truth. Um, I want to jump in real quick and just address uh, so many questions about is homosexuality a sin? And I want to look at a couple of passages that just address this clearly. And again, I don't want to share tonight, I don't want to share my opinion, I, I want to share God's truth. I want you to hear God's truth. And it says this, a couple of passages. In the Old Testament, Leviticus 18 verse 22, it says this, do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. So Leviticus 18.22 says, if you skip down a couple of verses, it says this. It says, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I'm going to drive out before you became defiled. So it's clear partaking in that is something that defiles us, separates us from God. In the New Testament, if you read over in Romans 6, um, verses 26 through 27, it says this. It says, for this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. There were people who wanted to live the way they wanted to live. And here in Romans, it says that God turned them over to these disgraceful passions. It says their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Guys, I share that because I want to just address, I want to show you where the Bible specifically addresses a lot of the questions that we receive as homosexuality is sin. And that's what the Bible says, okay? I want you to know that that's God's word. And as we approach tonight, I want you to know that when we come together, the goal of us being together is not just to look through the Bible and to look at all the things that aren't necessarily sexual immorality and then do our best not to do those things. Because I want you to understand, following Christ and being a Christian is not about us looking at all the things we're not supposed to do and then leaving here and trying really hard not to mess up. Okay? I want us to be careful not to go down that road. And so I want us to think about something. Why are these things, why is homosexuality a sin? Why is sexual morality a sin? And I want us to focus on two areas, two things tonight. Dive into scripture. I want you to know something. 
and this is where we need to focus, the reason why these things are sin is because God created you for a purpose, number one, and God created sex for a purpose, number two. I want us to think about those things, and you may think, God created me for a purpose, what, how does that address this issue? And I want you to know that it does in a major way, even though you think that doesn't make sense, I want you to know God created you for a purpose, which means this, it means God did not create you to live life the way that you want to live life, to live life the way that you think it should be purposed out in your life. God created you for a purpose and he has a plan. Um, I was meeting with a couple students, this was last week, we're doing this thing called community groups and we're going through um, this book, it's called Disciples Path and the lesson that we were in, it's called the doctrine of humanity, it's basically like why, you know, what's our belief about humanity and I sat down with these two guys, two high school guys and I asked them, I said, what is the purpose of humanity, what is your purpose? If somebody were to come up to you, and I'm ask, I'll ask you this, if somebody were to come up to you and say, why do I exist? What's my purpose? And they looked around and like, I don't, I don't know what I, would, what I would tell somebody. And the topic came up like, I don't know that I can tell somebody that. And I thought that is crazy because the culture we live in, it was evident that we feel like your purpose the culture we live in, what the world will tell you, is your purpose is whatever you feel like you want your purpose to be. Whatever you want to make your life, you be who you want to be, who you feel you should be. But the reality is God's word says that he created you for a purpose. And if you look into scripture, the reason why we live in this fallen world is because there was one point where humanity thought, I'm just going to do what I feel is right. And that brought us into this fallen world that we live in today. And so I want you to understand something tonight is that God created you for a purpose, which means your life is not about you just doing whatever it is you want to do. It's you living your life according to God's word. So let's focus there real quick. And you'll find in Genesis chapter one, if you have your Bibles, it says this, maybe a passage you're familiar with, maybe a passage you're not so familiar with, but it says this in Genesis chapter one, starting in verse 25, God is creating everything we know that is in existence. And in Genesis 1 verse 25, he says, so God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good, but then listen to what happens next. He says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I want you to miss this. When God was creating livestock and animals, they were created according to their kinds. But when God made you, when God made humanity, he said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. And listen, it says, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. You were created by God for a purpose. You were created male and you were created female, which is another thing that is under attack in our culture today. Your anatomy, who you are as a male or a female, was given to you by God for a purpose. Your DNA, the chromosomes in your body, God gave that to you. He created Adam and Eve, male and female. He didn't give them the choice. He said, this is how I've created you, because I have a purpose. And what is that purpose? That purpose is to bear the image of God. 
to rule and reign. The livestock were created according to their kindness, but for you, God said, I'm not gonna create you so you can roam and do whatever you wanna do the way you wanna do it. He says, I'm creating you so you can bear my image, so you can bring me glory, and you were created for that. And I'm talking to these two guys in our community groups. If you don't participate in one, we'd love to connect you with one, but I'm talking to these guys about them being created for a purpose, and it's such a foreign concept to even think about, I have a purpose, the world tells me I'm just whatever I feel like I am, and God's word says, no, you are created in God's image. You can read through God's word, he says you are his masterpiece. There's several passages in here, it talks about God being the potter and that we're the clay and that God creates us into what he wants us to be, the vessel he wants us to be, to be used for a specific purpose. It even says, if you read in Romans, it says that the, the, the clay can't say to the potter, why did you make me like this? because God is the one who gives the purpose. God is the one who's created you to bear his image. And students, we live in a culture of kind of this rebellion against God has created me this way, but I wanna do what I feel is right. And students, Adam and Eve, when they're in the garden, that's exactly the choice they make. God gives them this instruction, bear my image, rule and reign, and Adam and Eve decide to do their own thing. And what happens? It creates separation between them and God. It creates separation from their purpose. And if you want to know what purity is, because a lot of times when we talk about this topic of sexual morality, we always talk about purity. Let me just tell you, purity does not revolve around sex. It revolves around God and you being who God created you to be. That is purity. When you bear the image of God and you fulfill his purpose for your life, putting him on display, students, that is purity. It revolves around God. You were created in the image of God, and I can't stress that enough because in our culture, that is what we've lost. That's why we've gone down this road where we're so confused about sexual morality and how does this function because we've lost sight of the fact that God created you to be his image bearer. That is your purpose. God has called you to that. Embrace that. Know his word. Know his truth because that's where fulfillment comes from. And the second thing is God created you for a purpose, and God created sex for a purpose. In Genesis 1, verse 28, the next thing, an interesting verse says this. In verse 28, it says, God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God tells them, I want you to be fruitful, I want you to multiply. He's basically saying, I want you to take part in being a creator. In this awesome role of creating humanity, you're going to take part in that. And what's interesting is if you read over in Genesis chapter 2, you begin to catch a glimpse of how God is going to allow humanity to take part in creation. And so it says this in verse 18 of Genesis 2. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. I want you guys to focus in on that word helper because this is where I think we miss, uh, miss it a lot. Sometimes when we think about this world and this life, what we're looking for, we think we're looking for somebody who is going to satisfy us or complete us. But here in this passage, Adam does not need a satisfier or a completer. He needs a helper, somebody who will help him fulfill his purpose, which is to reflect God's glory and to bring him glory. And so God says, I'm going to provide a helper. And if you read down in verse 20, if you continue on in Genesis 2, verse 20, it says, 
The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But he says, for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. Not a satisfier, not a completer, but there was no helper. And so in verse 21, it says, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. This is uh, just some advice. Some of you guys are searching really hard for that one person, or sometimes we just look for things that God has created and we try to find some satisfaction and fulfillment in that. And I want you to know that our satisfaction and fulfillment, it's found in God and fulfilling our purpose, bringing him glory, accomplishing his work, because we're not made to do what we want, we're made to do what God wants. And in that we do find fulfillment. And what happens here is God brings Eve, he brings the helper that he needs, God brings Eve into Adam's life. And so often we're trying so hard to find that other person. Some of you guys are like, if I just, if this one person was in my life, then my life would be satisfied and complete. And I want you to know if you're not content right now in your relationship with Christ, no human being is gonna fulfill that spot. Nobody. It was never intended to. Then another human being coming into your life, entering into marriage or whatever that, you know, whatever that may be, God intended that person to be a helper for you to glorify God, not to fulfill, not to satisfy, because only God does that in our life as we fulfill his purpose. And listen to what happens next. It says, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds. Do you see that? This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Because it's in this context of Adam and Eve coming together. This is this first marriage ceremony in the Garden of Eden, and God brings Adam and Eve together, one man, one woman, and in that context and in those boundaries, God has them bond together and become one flesh. He gives us the context for sex there in Genesis chapter two. And I think sometimes we think about sex as something that maybe Satan sneaked into the garden and he like put it in there as something to be mischievous. And that's such a bad way to approach um, what sex is. We've perverted it in our culture and we've made it something it was never intended to be because God didn't create it to be that way. He created it to function within one man and one woman to accomplish his purpose. And it's a very powerful thing that takes place. You can read in scripture, a lot of times sex is referred to or compared to um, something like a fire, something that burns, it's something that is powerful. And I've used this illustration before when we've um, had different discussions, but um, the illustration of sex being compared to a fire is a very good one because Um, sex, when it's in its proper context, within marriage, one man, one woman, it can be a very useful, powerful thing that brings God glory. Just like a fire, when a fire is in a fireplace where it's supposed to be, very good thing that provides heat. But when you take the fire out and you bring it out of the boundary that it was created to be in and you put it on the floor, you put it on the couch, it can become a very dangerous thing, a very damaging thing. And that's the reality. When we begin to take sex out of the confines of one man, one woman, what God created it to be, then it becomes this very dangerous and devastating thing. And um, Romans, there's a verse that says, the wages of sin is death. 
You guys, sin is missing the mark. So when we take sin, when we take sex out of this context and we begin to use it any way that we want it, then we miss the mark, we miss what God's intention was, and it becomes a very dangerous thing. The wages of sin missing the mark is death. And so when we allow sin to enter into a relationship or into our world, it begins to destroy that relationship. You know, maybe sin has entered into a relationship that you're in, and there was one point where it's like, man, this person is great, and we're so in love, and then all of a sudden, sin starts entering, and all of a sudden, there's this breakdown and destruction. Well, when sin enters into our relationships, it becomes devastating. It becomes damaging. It was created for this context, and so, you know, we could look through passages after passages and talk about this is what you shouldn't do, don't do this, don't do this. We can read about homosexuality being bad, but I want you to know something. The idea for tonight and what we should leave this room knowing and understanding is not, okay, I can't do this and I can't do this and I can't do this. What we need to understand is that what we should do is come to God. Because the question for us is where do we go from here? God created sex to operate between one man, one woman. He gives us that picture here in Genesis chapter 2 and all throughout Scripture. But where do we go from here? And I want to read one passage here as we close. In John chapter 8, there's a woman who's caught in adultery who has struggled with sexual immorality. And you may be in here and say, well, this is something that I've struggled with or a temptation that I've struggled with. And here's the reality. As some of you in this room, maybe that's not a temptation that you've battled. You know, that's reality. You know, for, for, for most of you and for all of us in this room, we've all sinned in some way and fallen short. And the question for all of us is where do we go from here? What do we do? And the, the answer to that question is we go to Christ. No matter where we are tonight, no matter what we've battled, we come to Jesus and we allow him to work. And there's this passage I want to end with just to kind of bring us some clarity and to gather around. Again, just coming back to this idea that what we're doing here tonight is not out of a place of hate. Declaring this truth is not something that um, I do because I want to stand here and condemn anybody, but it's because I want you to know with all my heart what God's Word says and for you to be able to live in God's purpose because there's great fulfillment in that. And in John chapter 8, there's this woman starting in verse 2. It says this, it says, at dawn... He, that's Jesus, went to the temple again, and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, um, in the law, Moses commands us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. It says Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When, uh, with, with, with his finger, it says, when they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And that's a word for all of us. He says, the first one, the one without sin should throw a stone. What he's saying is, we're all in the same boat. We've all sinned. But these individuals were quick to condemn. And Jesus says, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then it says, then he stooped down again and continued to writing on the ground. It says, when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he, Jesus, was left with the woman in the center. It says, when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go from, uh, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. God steps into the situation, into a woman who has struggled with sexual immorality and realizes in that moment what she's done is not right, but he doesn't stoop down and say, I can't believe you, get out of here. Judgment upon you. He says, no one's gonna condemn you, I forgive you, go and sin no more. When Jesus steps in, because there is temptation that we face, and the reality is, you know, somebody asked the question, you know, can you be gay and be a Christian? And the way that question is worded is false, because you don't find our identity in something else other than a child of God. We don't find our identity in saying, can I be gay and be a Christian? That's the wrong way to view scripture. If you understand what God says, you understand this. Your identity is found in being a child of God. And so the question is, can I be a child of God, but still be tempted by sexual immorality? And the truth is, yes, we are tempted by sexual immorality. We're tempted by sin. Paul talks about that. He says, man, there are these things that I don't want to do, but I keep doing them. And I just don't know what to do. And the reality is when Jesus steps in, what he gives us is an option. Yes, there's temptation. And yes, here's this woman, she's caught in adultery. But what Jesus is saying is, yes, there is one way to live your life, but I'm giving you another option to seek after me and to follow me and to go and sin no more. That is the choice that he gives to this woman. He doesn't condemn her. He just gives her the option. You can follow me. And you can choose to live in your purpose, what God created you for, for. And what I want more than anything is for us, what I want you to hear tonight is that you were created for a purpose to live for God, to be an image bearer of God. That's what God has for you. And yes, you will face temptation, but your identity is found in God in being that image bearer that he's called you to be. And don't take your eyes off of that because when you do, that's when we begin to fall into the temptation. And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to give you an opportunity. Maybe you're in this room and maybe this is the first time you've heard some of these things and, and we want to continue to have conversations with you. There'll be pastors around and staff around afterwards. But the reality is for some of you, you hear this for the first time that you were created for a purpose, that sin separates us. You know, maybe you've struggled with sexual immorality or maybe it's something completely different. But maybe in this room tonight, you'd be willing to say, man, I just know I need Jesus. Jesus is standing here and he's saying, I don't condemn you, but what I'm giving you is an option to go and sin no more, to follow me, to be rescued. Remember when we go back to that passage, what makes you a better person is not not sinning, but what makes you a better person is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross.